Coming up, our last 50s episode, 59, Matt getting rear-ended, and I'm going to Japan. We talk about lights in assignment desk. We were actually more surprised than we were usually. In masterclass, we talk about what we were supposed to be doing next. Pledge cues, there's quite a lot. What would happen to cross-counter? Episode 59 is next. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! This is you, Vocal. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fashioner, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to patreon.com slash blfs and that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash blfs and show us how much you love us because we are here to make you a better sports photographer hopefully so news matt cole news here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month, and we talk about ourselves because we like to. So we're both like, we both kind of had like a similar, sorry, but we kind of have to apologize the fact that we didn't get to record this um, earlier in October. Um, I was in Japan and Matt was somewhere in America. I think he was lost because, you know, he went somewhere and he got lost in this week. Just couldn't get back to California <laughs> soon enough to actually record this. So we do apologize. We're really, really sorry. It was really just work stuff. And we will try to not let these things actually like work get in our way of providing you with our wonderful podcast. Saying that, do you want to start? What happened? Good, bad? Last uh, month or this month? <laughs> yeah, my best and worst shoot was the same one. <laughs> I had a commercial shoot last weekend, and on my way from the hotel to the shoot, I got rear-ended and my car got totaled. If you ever want to know, like, what the if people ask you, like, are you a professional or like they don't know what you know, like, I sold one picture. Does that mean I'm professional or whatever? Try to go somewhere, have your car get totaled, and have to shoot like a you know pretty significant shoot ten minutes later that is when you find out if you're professional or not. It's really, really, really hard to concentrate. It was, man, was it hard to concentrate because I was thinking I'm going to get stranded here in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And it, it happened on a Friday and, you know, people check out, you know, oh, it's Friday, I'm not going to work. I couldn't get a hold of anybody and I'm sitting there looking like, how am I going to get my car towed home and Did you cry? get a rent a car? And I came really close. To crying i was really upset <laughs> okay i managed to shoot the rest of the way so i got it done and it was a good shoot it was really interesting um i think we'll talk about it a little bit later but it ended up being a good shoot but it's shooting with like something that pressing on your mind is it really need to work to kind of box it out um i was in japan my home country 
And the reason why is that I did a project with a friend of mine um, who's a video person on women's sumo. Very briefly, because I don't want to kind of get into details of it. Um, I like to kind of share the information more when we get closer to actually, you know, kind of showing like what we've actually done. But um, yeah, we've actually like we wanted to like shoot sumo for a long time and I wanted to do for a long time. And kind of one thing led to another. And we decided that women's sumo will be more interesting than men's sumo. Main reason for that is the professional sumo, it's basically there's no access at all. Like you can't get any, there's you cannot get anything out of them other than the fact that you can basically shoot them while they are training and while they are in their you know bouts their 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 games or matches whatever you want to call them and we want a bit more personal side to these uh, sumo wrestlers and yeah woman actually provided us uh, with a lot more opportunities to do that. And uh, we followed uh, two women for two weeks, and it was very, very interesting. It was really, 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 really interesting. Kind of like briefly, because we have a quite a lot to get done this episode. So, especially the um, the pledge cues. So I think we're gonna quite take like the master class, just kind of like you know, have a bit of a talk about what happened to each of our basically trips, and you know, kind of like dealing with trip related sports photography stuff that. You might have to in the future if you get an assignment or if you have a project that you're thinking about doing and that might actually be uh, beneficial for you so um my bad the fact that the fact that i have to travel there and, and work there and um i realized that japan really only offers like meat everywhere i eat meat but yeah you know it's just too much meat it wasn't really bad shoot type of thing it was just like as much as i love meat i really just cannot take the fact that i have to eat meat all the time over there so if you're planning to go to Japan, and if you're vegetarian, good luck because you won't. You'll be in in the world of hell. That is it for news. We give you an assignment, and you show us if you've been listening. Um, do not doze off, and show us that you've been an attentive student, or a bad one. It was lights, and we ask you to basically use lights to enhance your pictures, or you kind of have to use lights to, you know, like lights will have to be like the main thing of the entire photograph. I am looking at them, and ah, okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, look, there's not that many, so we're gonna quickly talk about all of them. Read. This is this is not a bad picture by your standards but it's not really what we meant you know yes you you got lights in the picture but for for this to be something like that they would need to be way more of them or you would need to be way closer to them like th these are just incidental really to the picture like i said i don't mind it like the, the picture itself is fine it's just not especially what we we're looking for here same with kevin like again not a bad picture but it's not it's not what we're looking for i mean like if you like make this into like really contrast picture so you basically yeah. like i don't know like you shoot with like lower you can see that because it's a day game like all these lights will like be hitting a couple different places of his body and the background and that would actually make it into what we were talking about is basically using light to your advantage yeah this is like the worst example of it not being light because this is early morning light but it's you, just a normal photo. you first of all it doesn't look like it's that early composed around 
the the best part of of the light. Like we'll talk about this. In it's a, hitting from the other side. No. Yeah. Well, it's in the other side of the horse, or from the front, or something, and getting in the side. Like when you get to shoot as a professional, you just don't get to shoot in the early morning or the sunset or whatever very often because it's just you're either in a stadium or the games at noon or one or something like that. You really have to kind of walk around and use the light the best way you can. And this isn't that. I mean, this is this is just backlight. You know, it's just I'm going to leave the light on the other side and not really worry about it too much. But this is not what we would say would be taking advantage of the light at all. Um, the one by Simon is more as far as conceptually what we're talking about. It's just unfortunate that the guy's not doing anything. But mm. This is what we're talking about, like shoot into the sun, get the lens flare, you know, get the rim light. Um, This is what we're talking about. It's just this isn't a picture of anything. So that's why this one sucks. Um, You know, had he actually been doing something interesting, it would have been a very, very good picture because I I love the color. I love the color, you know, but this is something that you can only do with light. Like this whole picture is light and just needed to get somebody doing something there. And Jim Summers did a good job. No. Yeah, this is all right. It's I'm not like I'm not wild about the angle of it, but I guess he wanted to get the sun in there. That was really the only way to do it. But again, this is what we were talking about. Like this didn't happen by accident. He clearly thought about where's the light. I want to try to get it in the picture, and and he did that. It's just kind of like an in between. It's not low enough, but it's also not square enough. So he kind of got caught in three quarter land there. So. But it's really interesting, like the submissions of people, all like this time. They've all used it in a very different way, which I, I thought was quite interesting, yeah. which is really yeah, good. No, it's it's really good. a good thing, you yeah. know? The cheek, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, this is Super good. good. Yeah, Super good. Is, it's great. This is, yeah, it's fantastic. very happy with yeah, this. Yeah, it's really good. Um, also, Tom, this is very this good. is good, too. Um, you know, this, this could have been a really boring picture. So what he did, if you're a little bit unclear on it, he used light when it's coming down from those floodlights, it's going to go through the air and you're not going to be able to see it until it hits something. So if all that I guess steam black background, huh? Right. So I guess if all that black background. Right. If all that steam wasn't there, the light would just all be going down onto the players. Like if this was just like the beginning of the game and it wasn't cold and they weren't hot yet, it would just be like a really boring picture. But what he did was he used the steam coming off to break up the light. The light bounces off the steam and creates that effect and all of a sudden it becomes a good picture. Um, yeah. because of that now like Alvaro as well same yeah, thing yeah I mean, it's, it. it's just kind of you know what would make this picture better more of a square angle and a smaller kind of beam of light like having quarter of the field or something like that lit up makes it a little bit less impactful than if it had been a much smaller zone but no man i'm fine with this one this is he, good like yeah at least what thought he, about it what and, he did yeah, right he was actually waiting for a moment for this right it's good you know he did he did think about it and what i will say is you know what you can learn from this picture is look how dark the foreground part of the shadow is in the background part of the shadow where he just completely and totally said i don't care about that like that needs to be as dark as it possibly can be because I don't need any kind of that's not what the picture's about. The picture's about the guy in the middle, so you properly expose that and then let the rest mm. of it go to shadow. These are choices that you need to make while you're shooting because the camera is gonna make bad choices for you. It's gonna average everything out and it's gonna it's gonna end up uh, looking shitty. But if you make a choice like this to let the background and the foreground go black, it's gonna be more interesting of a picture than it would have been otherwise. So for people who didn't do it correctly, um I mean, we'll come back. I mean, the thing is, like, there's not so many, like, 
different assignments we can possibly give you we will go back we will come back and do the whole light thing again but for people who've actually done it quote-unquote correctly and original use of lights like well done i think it's very very good that you're actually really thinking about and being conscious about like how i can actually do this i mean for people who didn't do it correctly or really didn't manage to actually get anything done for this one look at what people have done and say well okay these are things that i can do as well and try it you know just use light to your advantages be very very creative because we're going to go to masterclass after this we're going to talk about the next one if you came here looking for information on training ground you are out of luck We've moved it to YouTube and therefore you'll get to see your rewards and punishments on video. Go to youtube.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter for separate words. In Mass Class, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at biglensfastshutter.com. So, Matt Cohen. Masterclass, what, are we gonna, what do we want people to do next month? Looking at the pictures that come into the pool, which both of us do kind of take the pulse of it, even the better pictures are subject background, subject background, subject background. It's all, you know, it's all very the same. And part of this is continuing to shoot when there's traffic in front, like if you're shooting basketball or hockey, there's constantly going to be people running or skating you know i guess it happens really in every sport probably less in, in less in soccer but the smaller the court the more interference there's going to be you need to be able to use that to make your pictures more interesting so for example if you're tracking somebody bringing the puck up the ice and you're shooting hockey and there's guys who are skating there are going to be times where the subject is blocked and then it'll be visible through a couple guys and then it'll be blocked again and you need to be able to keep tracking all of that and get those pictures because those pictures are just going to be more exciting and more visually interesting than just a guy framed by ice or the same on a basketball court or the same on a football court or whatever. So that's part of it. And the other part of it is what around the field or court can you use to frame the subject? So there are things that stand still like maybe advertising boards or fans or parts of the stadium or if you're you know just like at a rec league game then there's going to be trees and you, you just need to use anything to get like more of a 3d effect going in your picture like it just can't always be a clear shot from your camera to whatever it is you're shooting and then you know, trees in the background or fans in the background or something like that. So this is going to get you thinking more about where you are and more about maybe anticipating where the action is going to be. Part of it is also setting up your camera to, to still be able to maintain tracking through traffic. So I know on more of the pro bodies that you can set it to once it locks onto something to stay on it for a really long time you know, that's, that's what you want to do. You don't want the autofocus to be thrown off by the things that are in the way. And so, and so did you say like, did you, did you tell people that we need to like have like 66, (laughs) more than 66.666% of the foreground covered in something? Okay. Well, were you, 
uh, you know, because he's Japanese, I think, wants to put a number on all of this. So he wants it to be picture is blocked by two thirds. I think that's ridiculous. We were talking more about half or one third. A significant. Let's do like at least should be at least a third. Right. Like yeah, it should be a significant right. amount. Right. Of, uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to listen. We're not going to get out. We're not going to get out the ruler. What you what no. we're talking about is it's not you know, one guy standing in front of another guy and a little bit of the face peeking out or something like that. Like, I, there needs to be significant things going on in the foreground that are blocking a lot of the rest of the picture. A bunch of players or bark of a tree or a hill or, you know, if you're shooting golf or something like that. Like, it really needs to be obvious that something is blocking. Like, this picture is about something that's in the way of you and what you're shooting so you can figure out like what the correct proportions of all of that are but it needs to be very significant like it needs to be like anybody looking at this picture could tell oh he's not shooting at that thing that's really prominent he's shooting at that thing that's in the back and so you want people to take a progression through the picture like they're going to see what's blocking it and they're going to find the subject and it's going to be a nice little journey for them like i understand like what Matt is saying, and Matt doesn't understand what I'm saying ever. But in general, if you don't understand what we're talking about, just put it on the Flickr thread or ask us on Facebook or just email us. We'll, we'll explain it to you. Like, it's not a problem at all. Like We want you to understand what we're, what we're asking you to do. Yeah, the email for us is save me, like S-A-V-E-M-E at BigLensFastShutter.com. You can go to our Flickr page, so Flickr.com, and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter. And for Facebook, yeah, just search for Big Lens Fast Shutter and we'll, you'll be able to actually find a Facebook page. And just like contact us through there on the thread, whatever, and just say, I don't understand what you're talking about. We will explain it again. It's not a problem at all. Okay? So feel free. That's It won't cost you. You'll do it for free to explain stuff. Um, that's it, no? We don't have anything anymore? No. Okay, that's it. cross-counter we like doing it we really do um matt likes doing it i like doing it my daughter she says she likes doing it but i don't know half the time what she's talking about anyway but she seems like she likes to listen to us talk about cross-counter the problem is that we are having a very difficult time well first of all we're having a very difficult difficult time finding any good like you know a lot of good sports pictures and on top of that we're getting a lot of questions on pledge cues so if you want us to continue doing cross counter, you find us like a photographer who's very, very good that you want us to talk about or a website that has like, you know, a bunch of good sports photograph, either or. And you can post that on Flickr group page or you can post it on, on, on Facebook and uh, we will then go ahead and, and take your advice and your suggestions and use it for our next cross counter. So without further ado, it's fine, right? You, you add anything else to this? No? Okay. No. Okay. This is pledge cues. Yes, it's pledge cues.
And that means if you want to ask us a question that you want to have answered, what you can do is go to patreon.com and that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash b-l-f-s for big lens slash shutter. And you can pledge to our show. So for $10 a month, you get a whole lot of things on top of like this whole package and you get to ask us questions and we will answer them personally. Well, you know, on the podcast. So, saying that, we have a lot of questions this month. Michael K. asks us, Just finished my first season shooting minor league baseball for a local club. Loved every minute of work. However, I was surprised at, how shall I say it, douchey most baseball photographers are in the camera wells. So basically, like, you know, he's saying that the fucking other photographers are shit. Sports talk is a piece of shit anyway. I'm not competing with any of them. I'm a fairly mellow guy why, who neither smells particularly bad nor takes up a lot of space. I keep my mouth shut and do my work. But I always at least introduce myself because I'm a member of civil society and that's what car-carrying human beings are supposed to do. But 80% of the guys in the world seem to be mouth-breezing grunters. I don't experience this on soccer pitches, hockey rinks, tennis courts, or football fields where most shooters are at least collegial and usually fairly friendly. Am I the only person who has this experience? Hoping that Ryu can put this on his forensic psychologist hat and analyze his breed and perhaps both of you can comment on camera well etiquette. Thanks. Just briefly before we start, forensic psychology has nothing to do with, you know, analyzing this type of breed of shitty photographers and camera well basically is a place i think i think i'm hoping right this way where the photographers kind of sit in for baseball because you're quite big you know it's quite dangerous sport and you have to kind of sit in a certain spot to be able to shoot baseball so matt cohen fat photographers right right but enough about brad mangin terrible i don't i don't find uh brad accepted i don't find uh baseball photographers to be any better or worse than any other sport i would direct michael to the nearest rodeo oh yeah <laughs> uh but uh i don't know I, you know it, there's nothing you can do like it's the same as in regular life like there's just gonna be assholes and don't worry about them if you're not competing even if you are competing with them they're not as long as they're not actively trying to knock your camera over or something like that it's not always pleasant when you go out and shoot like i'm i don't know when i shoot baseball or football or hockey or basketball or whatever i really don't have any problems at all and you know there's always a guy here there i'm sure there's people that consider me that guy i don't know oh of course they, you are just, just go and shoot it's not they don't have anything to do with you like it's it's you and the game going on if you know if you get into a situation where they're not letting you shoot from a certain area and there's hogging it or something like that then you know you might want to find a workaround you know get the team to make people rotate or assign spots wait, or something wait. like that but can i say one thing before i forget yeah. What I really hate when a lot of photographers do when they take up a lot of space. Like they take up like two spots because they need to put their computer right next to them. All right. Fuck me, turn you know, around. Like just put it Brad. behind you. Like, there, there is there is basic 
you know, like There's like that. In the camera wells, like the more people that there are, you know, people have an extra seat and they're using for the computer or whatever. Like you can't ask them, I want to shoot from here. Can you possibly move this or whatever? And they should really do that. Otherwise, I would just say, you know, don't let yourself get distracted by what other people are doing. Like that, you're not there to interact with them. You're there to shoot. And unless they're actively keeping you from doing your job, just, you no. know, kind of put them put them out of your mind. I like to add, because of the fact that I don't really see the same people all the time, I'm not, like, shooting one specific league. I'm not shooting one specific sport. Why do you shoot football, like soccer, most of the time? But I don't see the same people all the time, and I kind of find it a bit too clicky. And I'm fi- it's just, I mean, for most of them, they are in a league, like during the premiership or during the Bundesliga, during the La Liga, whatever. So they see each other all the time. And I've always worked on my own. So I prefer not socialize with them because I find them quite boring. Saying that, I've actually met some really nice people from all these boring people. So I can't really say that for everyone involved. I've done some shitty things as well. I've been really annoying and I've been really annoyed back as well. But it, I find that so hard to believe. Yeah, I know. I'm the nicest guy in the whole world. But it does happen, and there's there are going to be some dick. That's what happens. So there will be people like that. It's 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 like with any workplace, it will be like that, and you just have to deal with it. And like what Matt said, concern on what you were, you're there for for, and that's to shoot sports. Moving on to Nin Lei. Um, what's your take on using flash, especially in cycling photography? Ooh. On one hand, it adds another dimension to my repertoire, but it won't allow burst shots, and I have to carry a stand and multiple flash units up the mountain for off-camera flash. Thanks. I've got no idea. Adding dimension to your repertoire or your portfolio or both or whatever is what we're doing here. So but he should do it, though. Yeah, you should. You can't rule out anything like any chance that you get to get a different looking picture you should take it it may not work you may not end up using it but you should definitely try mm. not everything has to be a burst like you know there are definitely times where a time um, better no? you know you're only gonna have one chance mm. at it or if you're shooting with strobes you are only gonna have one chance at it speed lights are small like you can fit four or five of them in a in a backpack or whatever you don't need to have a stand like there are all different kinds of ways that you can put lights where you want to and not have to have a stand like i get that i know my light stands are big and bulky and i wouldn't want to carry them up a mountain but i have clamps and little feet that can kind of dig it into the ground or set it on pavement or a flat surface or something like that like there's lots of ways around you know and they're not that expensive i forget what they're called you know they're just like spring clamps that have like a little shoe on them like a cold shoe or whatever you can get those for fairly cheap and put them wherever you want to i would absolutely do this and don't worry about the burst shots and you don't have to shoot the whole race like this but you can set it up in one like if there's one corner of the track that will work for this then you do that and then you just turn the pocket wizard whatever transmitter you're using you just turn that off for the and walk to a different part of the track or something like that and then go back and like there's many ways that you can do it and you don't have to completely sell out and only shoot where the flashes are you can still move to other places so i would do that i would definitely try to do that if you if you can get that close to it that speed lights work definitely do it but i don't really have anything more to add to that one it's just it's with like any other photography well any other like sports photography doesn't really matter the whole point is to ask you a lot more to your repertoire like it's 
but why would you say no to that? I don't even understand what the question actually will be in that context because the whole point is you want to actually do something different and do something different. Simon West says, I'm interested to know the sort of number of saleable shots you take from a shoot and how many, roughly, shots you take to achieve that. So maybe in Ryu's case, the shots you fire in a football match and for Matt a day of rodeo, how many of these shots are usable? Ooh, that's really like gonna then how many of those are you able to sell to clients and what do you want what do you do with the rest? I guess you know what different clients want from each shoot, but trying to understand whether you give them a lot of shots each and let them choose a few or whether you make the choice for them and just give them a few. I'm gonna start and saying that it really depends on the client. Some clients want the whole thing, like really literally the entire, sh the, everything about she shot, because they're basically gonna choose, they're gonna choose the ones that they need for their particular requirements. And sometimes I'm going to basically choose as few as possible because if I basically give them the shots that I don't particularly like, but they're gonna use it, I feel really bad. And I want to basically only sh only have them use the photographs that I like. So I basically like just choose for them, and I told I tell them this is the only ones that I have. You use from what we what I have. It happens a lot, especially in when I do portrait shoots for athletes. Like I really just tell them like, okay, these are the three shots I have. Use them because I don't want to use the other shots that I've I've done. Maybe they might be more conservative in taste. I just don't give it to them, so they have no other choice but to use the ones I like to use. Make it simple. I really don't enjoy the what percentage keeper whatever. I, I don't that is I don't know why that question annoys me so much. I guess because it's just so useless. You know, like it it just doesn't matter. Like if you get the job done, it doesn't matter how many you missed, how many you made, how many you submitted. None of that matters. As far as clients go, I have clients who say I'll do a commercial shoot for. They get all of the raws. They pay me enough where they just bought everything and they have all the rights to it. I have other clients who I send pictures to like Ryu I really try to edit those before I send them to them if I can because they will almost yeah. invariably use a picture that I don't want them to yeah. use so if they don't have it they can't use it the other part of that is that you can paralyze somebody with too many choices so even if you get a ridiculous series like I don't know in baseball, you get like a outfielder and he's running right at you and he's making a dive and catch or whatever and you might get five good shots of that. There's probably only one good one and if you send that to them, they're going to use it. And if not, they, they'll just sit there and look at all five of them and be like, I don't know which one to use. And you know, then they might move on to something else because they just can't decide or something like that. Like, There are definitely times where less choice is better and you're helping them, believe me. It, it might not seem like it, but you're helping them. I have other people who have their choice of, they give me a list at the beginning of the year, and these are all the guys that they sponsor, and they have choice to any of those pictures that they want. A lot of times, it doesn't come down to what the best picture is. It comes down to where is the space that they can put their logos on or the text of the ad or something like that. So you, you really do never know. And that's why it's good to give them some options. You just don't want to give them a lot of duplicate options. And you certainly don't want to give them pictures that you wouldn't be happy if they used. It's not really doing anybody any favors. Um, just to like add, I was just kind of rereading the, the actual questions and just because I don't really do this that much in terms of basically shooting a match and then selling it to like agencies. 
I do it, but I really don't send that many to the agencies either because I don't shoot like what agencies require me to shoot, like which is like really quite self-descriptive, really boring, you know, sports photos. So if I have to, like if I do shoot them, like I do send it to them, but otherwise I don't because I'm not really now like in a business business of actually selling per photo. I'm in a business of um, clients hiring me to do a specific project where I can basically most of the time do whatever the I want to do and that's really the best way I feel is to kind of further my business is that I get freedom to do what I want to do and the clients trust me that I can actually produce what they are looking for Deborah says protocol for building credentials is it about amount of quality photos you produce from what you get access to or the amount of photos that actually get purchased and used by specific uh, sports specific specific organizations to gain credentials to access bigger events this is a very tricky question I, I, what from what I can say is that I use my Japanese agency that I shoot for uh, from time to time that I also do business with they will send accreditation on my behalf I also ask magazines to send accreditation on my behalf I have companies that i use to like send a creation on my on my on my behalf and the reason is that being a freelancer right now is not very easy for you to get any accreditation whatsoever so i basically choose whatever ways i can to get into matches because most of the uh, the matches they really want you to be representing newspaper or agency or magazine or anything anything probably except for the web web is just like web-based stuff they don't like that much they want some like paper-based shit and then you basically work your way up into basically trying to get into as many events as possible the best way to basically get it into events is to use like a newspaper or a magazine and just ask them whether or not they will just like you know you, you can use their name and their editor's name to send an accreditation uh, request to an event that you want to go to honestly that's the best way to do it and most likely you'll probably get in just because of that maybe you can get a business with them you probably won't because they've got no money so if you want to be like nice and say hey you know what like if you if i can actually use your name i will give you like two photos or three photos or whatever for free and you know if you want to do it that way that's probably the best way to get into any sporting event of your choice not really for all of them but yeah it is i would say turn it around and pretend that you were the media contact at whatever it is you're shooting and try and look at it from their perspective a little bit they don't care how good your pictures are you know like you can send them 30 pictures of you know their team or whatever that are amazing but if they can't be assured that the pictures that you take of the event that you're asking them to write your credentials for it just doesn't matter to them like their job is getting publicity for their team or their event if you don't have a guaranteed path to have that stuff published in something that's reasonably high profile or reasonably targeted to what they're doing they just don't care it's more difficult there to get in as a freelancer it's impossible here like you just can't get into anything high profile here as a freelancer like they want to know who you're shooting for they want to know what's been published there before if they don't know what the publication is if they do know what it is then you're a little bit ahead because they're just going to assume that it's going to get published but they they just don't care like there's just it's not a charity like there's no unless you know somebody or something like that there's just no good reason for them to let you in unless they're going to be getting publicity out of it you can try to shoot for those organizations. Some of them will just say, okay, well, you know, if we get to own the pictures, 
then you can shoot it, but that's not really all that good of a deal anyway. So it's difficult and, you know, it's only going to get more difficult as there's fewer publications around. Here the web is fine. You don't need to be paper-based to get credentials here, but they need to be assured that they're going to get out. I know this isn't the answer that people want to hear, but that's just what it is. There has to be some criteria. Otherwise, anybody could just say, I've got this nice camera and I want to come in and shoot. And by the way, I don't want to buy a ticket. I want you to give me a credential and just doesn't really help anybody. And there's safety concerns and just knowing where to be and where not to be. And it's challenging. It, there's no question about it. But the thing is that what we try to do here is get you to take better pictures so that these publications will notice you and publish what you're doing because it's different than what they can get in other places. And then that kind of opens the doors from there. So it's not really even a chicken or the egg situation. It all comes from making great pictures ahead of time. And then the rest of it will follow from there. What are your thought on, thoughts on cropping? There's simply a quality and detail differences when getting it uh, to use the full image. With a super tele, there's going to be shots that are getting a little wide, far off, and others that are too tight. How far is reasonable to crop for the former? Are there any rules of thumb when it comes to ratios? Thanks. So that was the question by La Puffin. And Michael K answered. There's a very long discussion on this topic. Some ratios discussions in episode 8, part 1. Worth a listen. And Puffin <laughs> says, Thanks, Michael. I only recently found BFS and I'm still working my way backwards. Still in the 40s. Episode 8, part 1. <laughs> Crazy. I remember. That's, like That's the one where I did it by myself because you weren't there or something like that. And it just went... <laughs> Really? I th- it was it? when I uh, I interviewed Matt Stockman, I think, and the it's, the interview was like oh, forty minutes yeah, long or something yeah. like that. Because I'm a big fan of his. <laughs> um, anyway, all right. Well, we can we can answer this a little bit now. Ryu doesn't crop. I do crop. Um, I. I don't know, but like, see, things have changed since. I, I oh. do crop now. Breaking news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I've been doing that for like a past year now. Like I. If I want to basically like make sure like things are straight and things like that, I would just make sure that I crop it now. So like it's not like it's never gonna be like this massive crop that I basically like take half of the images out. So it'll be like really around the edges, you know, when things are not straight and all that kind of stuff. So okay, that's it. Uh, yeah, cropping. Go, go I, cropping is important. I think I, there I have clients who don't want pictures cropped because they want to drop it into you know like a preset kind of position or whatever or they want to lay text over it and they want they want to have options as to where that can go or something like that in general pictures look better when with a little bit of a crop you know unless the action is happening at exactly the right distance i, I feel that you're going to need to crop at you know at some point how reasonable yeah you, you, we're just talking about like the edges like the obviously the more you crop the worse it's going to look and the less natural it's going to look for depth of field reasons and resolution reasons. So as little as possible is really what it comes down to there. But if you can be aggressive, if you have like a high res kind of camera or something like that, and you can be a little bit more aggressive if you absolutely need to. And then rules of thumb, we've talked about this many times. There's a reason that the cameras are the way they are because it just looks better. So three to two, is what most cameras are going to do. I think that looks the best. And as you get closer to a square, it's going to look shittier and shittier. You know, I I think 8x10 looks really bad, and I tried to never do it unless I'm actually printing an 8x10 for someone. 
two to three, three to four, those those will work fine. Um, I just I wouldn't go any further than that, and, and any more rectangular than that, like a, you know sixteen by nine or something like that. I think looks you know starts to look ridiculous too. The, not to say that there isn't you know like a time and a place if you're getting something printed for your wall or something like that, and you have like a really rectangular kind of space, then something like that might work. But I, other than that, I would say two to three, three to two, or two to three or three to four. So Tom Beery asks. I think my camera is slightly front-focusing with my 400mm lens. Looking back through my photos, I think the calibration is off and it's front-focusing. Okay, so it is front-focusing. What advice have you for getting a lens like a 400 calibrated to a camera? But don't they have like the calibration, like the fine fine-tune thing? Yeah, I'm not... I haven't had super great luck with that. Like it works sometimes and it doesn't work other times. And the problem is that... If you're doing it at home, it's really difficult to calibrate a 400 because you need a lot of a lot of room to because you don't want to be it's the minimum six meters or something like that, so 18 feet or something that you need, and that's just the minimum. And then if you calibrate it to like the far the minimum, then when you start shooting at half a field or something like that, it, there's a really good chance that it's not going to be exactly right. So take it to your local... Not really even the local one. Like I would find an authorized one. The local, you know, like the little shop or whatever might be fine for fixing a 50 or, you know, an 85 or something like that. Trusting my 400 is either going back to Nikon or it's going to a Nikon authorized shop where they have all the all the gear to do that. This happens from banging your gear around. Like this doesn't just happen. Like I don't think a whole lot of wildlife photographers are going through all this stuff, but if you travel a lot and you know your gear gets banged around or whatever, then that's what happens. I've had bent lens like the brass lens mounts or whatever and that will contribute to this. I've also had stuff dropped or run into or whatever and that will cause this as well. So I wouldn't mess around, you know, you're talking about a $10,000 lens or something like that. Most of the time, if your body is working with all of your other lenses and it's only the lens, then you don't need to have them calibrated together. You can just take the lens in and have them put it back into spec and then it should be fine. You want to be careful because it's easier to tell when a 400 is out because of the narrow depth of field. So you want to look at your other lenses and say, is it camera or is it inside? You know, if you're shooting at F4 or something like that, you're just not going to be able to tell if it's out of calibration or something like that. So you want to be really careful that your other lenses are actually in calibration and not just inside the margin of error. If they are all fine, then it's probably just the 400. If you have some downtime and you can send both of them in, that would make you feel more comfortable or whatever you can do that. But then the problem is, is it taking it out of calibration with the other lenses that were in calibration? So I would do everything you can to only have to send the lens in. Most of the time, the lens is going to be way more sensitive because there's more moving parts than there are in the body. So... I don't think the the auto, you know, the micro tuning or whatever is, uh, I just don't think it's worth very much. So it is going to have to go in and it's not probably going to be very cheap and you can't go around shooting with it out of, out of calibration. So if it's really, really like out of focus and like, yeah, it's, if it's like really, it's really front focus or it's really back focus and there's no, nothing you can do, but to send it out and have it fixed and there's no other way really for it. Kevin Sosa, who's actually going to be writing no. 
an article for us. He is talking about respecting your elders. Recently on an assignment, I had to work with a more senior photographer within the agency who wanted all three periods of ice level coverage. Fucking cock. The A1 spot, thus leaving me with a crappy high, solution, uh, high shooting position. I played nice in the sandbox and gave him two periods. What would you have done? How much respect should you show more senior photographers within your agency when on assignment? It's like a work relationship thing, huh? I think I think if you say, okay, you know what, this time you're gonna get two out of three. Next game I'm gonna get I'm gonna get two out of three. Let's just go back and forth like that. No? I mean, it's because I want things to be equal. Like I don't want seniority has anything to do with Well, here's the problem. So I shoot a fair bit of hockey and there's limited positions on the ice and I don't like shooting from off top. It sucks. It's, you know, once in a while, one period. Yeah. Okay. But mostly it sucks. So I try to shoot on the ice as much as I can. The sharks where I shoot the AP has a, their own and the mercury news, which is the local newspaper to San Jose has their own. And the rest of them are kind of like first come first serve kind of thing. So, you know, you just get there really early and you can, pretty much have your pick of it but you do have to work with each other kind of to split those all up i i think the the thing that kevin has to keep in mind here is that i don't ever shoot with somebody else from my same client or agency or whatever because of that i'm fighting for who i'm shooting for to get those spots i think kevin has less clear case here because as long as somebody from his agency has that spot for all three periods, then the agency is going to be happy. And I don't think the agency is going to want people fighting over the spots. And I think the agency would say that the senior guy can can call it. And if he wants to, then he gets to or something like that. This isn't a battle that's going to be all that beneficial to fight. It's just a hockey game. It's not you're not going to be shooting with him all the time. So in general, if you're getting more ice than less, then you're you're better off not fighting. Yeah, but like if this is if it's like every home game, this is gonna be like this. If it's every yeah, if it's every game, I would definitely you know try and work something out. Like I'm I'm not coming here to shoot two periods from up top every time, so we're gonna have to mm. alternate or something like that. That's fine. I wouldn't do it to make a point. I wouldn't do it to wave your dick around because it's not worth it. It's just, you know, a hockey game here or there or whatever. If it's the whole season or something. Yeah. Then you have to like alternate and just like say, listen, let's just be fair. You know, like I'm working and you're working and we both want to get the best positions. But like massive, if it's like really once in a while, because here's the thing, like that guy, if he's more senior, he's going to have more juice with, um, with the agency and the, um, the little fat man who does the assignments, um, might side with him. And, that, uh, you don't want to no, be on the short end of that. Definitely don't. Like this portion of the podcast is getting very, very good because I like the fact that you guys are asking questions yeah, and it's I very, very it. good. And um, hopefully, you're enjoying your answers. And with that, we end the 59th episode of Big Lens Slash Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners. And obviously, Rob with two Bs, our wonderful producer, Extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And obviously, if you have that bell in your pocket, please, please, please go to Patreon.com slash B-L-F-S. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash B
BLFS. To recap, Facebook, blog, iTunes, Patreon. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.